For our scripture reading, we turn to Jeremiah chapter 32. This passage is, speaks of the word that came to Jeremiah shortly before the Babylonian captivity. And uh, it was uh, at this time that it was we're going to be very soon that the Jews were going to be taken to Babylon. And God here spoke, although they were going to go to Babylon... It was also the case that houses and fields and vineyards would be possessed again in this land. And when Jeremiah hears that, he prays to God and begins his prayer making a reference to the fact that God has made the heaven and the earth by his great power, and there's nothing too hard for him. He makes a reference to creation. And then when God answers, he also speaks of the fact that there is nothing too hard for him, the creator, our father. So we, we read that from, from this point of view. Also taking note of the fact that there's the reference to the covenant that the one who has created us has made an everlasting covenant with us. We begin reading at verse 1. The word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord in the tenth year of Zedekiah, king of Judah, which was the eighteenth year of Nebuchadnezzar. For then the king of Babylon's army besieged Jerusalem, and Jeremiah the prophet was shut up in the court of the prison, which was in the king of Judah's house. For Zedekiah king of Judah had shut him up, saying, Wherefore dost thou prophesy and say, Thus saith the Lord? Behold, I will give this city into the hand of the king of Babylon, and he shall take it. And Zedekiah king of Judah shall not escape out of the hand of the Chaldeans, but shall surely be delivered into the hand of the king of Babylon. And shall speak with him mouth to mouth, and his eyes shall behold his eyes. And he shall lead Zedekiah to Babylon, and there he shall be until I visit him, saith the Lord. Though ye fight with the Chaldeans, ye shall not prosper. And Jeremiah said, The word of the Lord came unto me, saying, Behold, Hanamiel, the son of Shalom, thine uncle, shall come unto thee, saying, Buy thee my field that is in Anathoth, for the right of redemption is thine to buy it. So Hanamiel, mine uncle's son, came to me in the court of the prison, according to the word of the Lord, and said unto me, Buy my field, I pray thee, that is in Anathoth, which is in the country of Benjamin. For the right of inheritance is thine, and the redemption is thine. Buy it for thyself. Then I knew 
This was the word of the Lord. It happened just as God said that, that it would. And I bought the field of Hanameo, my uncle's son, that was in Anathoth, and weighed him the money, even 17 shekels of silver. And I subscribed the evidence and sealed it and took witnesses and weighed him the money in the balances. So I took the evidence of the purchase, both that which was sealed according to the law and custom, and that which was open. And I gave the evidence of the purchase unto Baruch, the son of Neriah, the son of Messiah, in the sight of Hanamiel, mine uncle's son, and in the presence of the witnesses that subscribed the book of the purchase, both of the, all the Jews that sat in the court of the prison. And I charged Baruch before them, saying, Thus saith the Lord God of hosts, the God of Israel, Take these evidences, this evidence of the purchase, both which is sealed and this evidence which is open, and put them in an earthen vessel that they may continue many days. For thus saith the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, houses and fields and vineyards shall be possessed again in this land. Now when I had delivered the evidence of the purchase unto Baruch, the son of Neriah, I prayed unto the Lord, saying, Ah, ah, Lord God, behold, thou hast made the heaven and the earth by thy great power and stretched out arm, and there is nothing too hard for thee. Thou showest loving kindness unto thousands, and recompenseth the iniquity of the fathers into the bosom of their children after them. The great, the mighty God, the Lord of hosts is his name, great in counsel and mighty in work. For thine eyes are open upon all the ways of the sons of men, to give everyone according to his ways and according to the fruit of his doings, which has set signs and wonders in the land of Egypt even unto this day, and in Israel, and among other men, and has made thee a name as at this day, and has brought forth thy people Israel out of the land of Egypt with signs and with wonders and with a strong hand and with a stretched out arm and with great terror, and has given them this land, which thou didst swear to their fathers to give them, a land flowing with milk and honey. And they came in and possessed it, but they obeyed not thy voice, neither walked in thy law. They have done nothing of all that thou commandest them to do. Therefore thou hast caused all this evil to come upon them. Behold the mounts, they are come unto the city to take it. And the city is given into the hand of the Chaldeans that fight against it, because of the sword and of the famine and of the pestilence. And what thou hast spoken is come to pass. And behold, thou seest it. And thou hast said unto me, O Lord God, buy thee the field for money, and take witnesses, for the city is given into the hand of the Chaldeans. Then came the word of the Lord unto Jeremiah, saying, Behold, I am the Lord God of all flesh. 
Is there anything too hard for me? Therefore thus saith the Lord, Behold, I will give this city into the hand of the Chaldeans, and into the hand of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon. And he shall take it. And the Chaldeans that fight against this city shall come and set fire on this city, and burn it with the houses upon whose roof they have offered incense unto Baal, and poured out drink offerings unto other gods to provoke me to anger. For the children of Israel and the children of Judah have only done evil before me from their youth. For the children of Israel have only provoked me to anger with the work of their hands, saith the Lord. For this city hath been to me as a provocation of mine anger and of my fury from the day that they built it, even unto this day, that I should remove it from before my face, because of all the evil of the children of Israel and of the children of Judah, which they have done to provoke me to anger, they, their kings, their princes, their priests, and their prophets, and the men of Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem. And they have turned unto me the back and not the face. Though I taught them, rising up early and teaching them, yet they have not hearkened to receive instruction. But they set their abominations in the house which is called by my name to defile it. And they built the high places of Baal, which are in the valley of the son of Hinnom, to cause their sons and their daughters to pass through the fire unto Molech, which I commanded them not, neither came it into my mind that they should do this abomination to cause Judas to sin. And now, therefore, thus saith the Lord, the God of Israel, concerning this city, whereof ye say it shall be delivered into the hand of the king of Babylon by the sword and by the famine and by the pestilence, behold, I will gather them out of all countries whither I have driven them in mine anger and in my fury and in great wrath. And I will bring them again unto this place, and I will cause them to dwell safely. And they shall be my people, and I will be their God. And I will give them one heart and one way that they may fear me forever for the good of them and of their children after them. And I will make an everlasting covenant with them that I will not turn away from them to do them good, but I will put my fear in their hearts that they shall not depart from me. Yea, I will rejoice over them to do them good, and I will plant them in this land assuredly with my whole heart and with my whole soul. For thus saith the Lord, like as I have brought all this great evil upon this people, so will I bring upon them all the good that I have promised them. And fields shall be bought in this land, whereof ye say it is desolate without man or beast. It is given into the hand of the Chaldeans. Men shall buy fields for money and subscribe evidences and seal them and take witnesses in the land of Benjamin and in the places about Jerusalem and in the cities of Judah and in the cities of the mountains, and in the cities of the valley, and in the cities of the south. For I will cause their captivity to return, saith the Lord. So far we read from the Holy Scriptures. This passage and the rest of Scripture are the basis for 
the teaching of our Heidelberg Catechism in Lord's Day 9. There we read, What believest thou when thou sayest, I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth? that the eternal Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who of nothing made heaven and earth with all that is in them, and who likewise upholds and governs the same by his eternal counsel and providence, is for the sake of Christ his Son, my God and my Father, on whom I rely so entirely that I have no doubt but that he will provide me with all things necessary for soul and body. And further, that he will make whatever evils he sends upon me in this valley of tears turn out to my advantage. For he is able to do it, being almighty God, and willing, being a faithful father. Dearly beloved in our Lord Jesus Christ, we learn as we look to the scriptures and take note of places where the doctrine of the creation appears, where there are references made to God creating the heaven and the earth. And on the one hand, when we talk about creation in this Lord's day, we mention a number of important points that we confess about God's creating everything in six real days, something that is commonly denied. And it is very important that we confess that truth over against what others say, that we confess that we believe what God tells us in the scriptures. That's what he tells us, and we know it is true that the creation took place, God's creating of all things, precisely as God has told us in his word. We also take note of the relationship between creation, how the subject of creation is brought up in Scripture also in connection with our salvation. In fact, we are referred to as new creatures. And when we sing in the Psalms, as we did just a moment ago, and refer to God as our maker, it's not only the case that you know, we created all things in the beginning, but we have our mind on the fact that God has created us, his people. And that when we call him our maker, we're referring to how he has created us as new creatures, that he has saved us, that he has delivered us from sin, 
and that he would deliver us from death. Very frequently in the scriptures, that point is made. And thus, when we talk about the deliverance of the creation, and there are those that, you know, often will speak about how God is going to deliver the creation. Well, there's a reference to the delivering of the creation. But what does that mean? It does not mean that the day will come when all human beings will be saved. But it refers to the fact that he will deliver his people those whom he has made to be new creatures in Jesus Christ, and the creation itself shall be delivered from the bondage of corruption. So that when we are directed in the scriptures to think of God delivering his creatures, we it's referring to us who are the elect, who are, whom he's made to be new creatures in Christ, and also the deliverance of the creation itself that will be liberated from the bondage of corruption. In the passage we read in Jeremiah 32, we read about the return from the captivity. And we read about how there was gonna be land that was going to be bought Buy, people shall buy fields for money and subscribe evidences. It also talked about how the people would dwell safely. They shall be my people. I will give them one heart and one way that they may fear me forever. Well, we see a beginning of the fulfillment. We see in the, that they did return from Babylon after 70 years. But we know that what's being referred to there is the salvation that we have in Christ and the full realization of what we read of here will be when we're all dwelling together, gathered out of the nations, and we're all dwelling together and there's a new earth and that we all love God, love one another, that we praise and exalt his name, we dwell together having communion without sin, dwelling safely with our God. God has promised us these things. There is nothing too hard for the creator the one who spoke and it came into being, let there be light and there was light. There's nothing too hard for him. And what he has said concerning the future will take place. And in this life, there will be trials. For the Israelites that heard this about coming back, If the news was not that they weren't going to go to captivity. They were going to go to captivity. 70 years could have seemed a, a long ways off to be gone that long. 
certainly there would be many people that when they would look and consider what age they were at the time of the captivity would think, well, I, I won't be alive when we come back. Yet God's people were assured of the full realization of what God had promised. And we know what God has promised us concerning a life to come. And that all the evils that he sends upon us in this valley of tears, he does turn to our advantage. He's able to do it. There's nothing too hard for him. He's almighty God, and he is willing. He's a faithful father. We consider this passage under the theme, nothing too hard for our father. We consider, first of all, the creator, secondly, his covenant, and thirdly, relying on him. First, and relatively briefly, but we mentioned some fundamental points concerning the doctrine of creation, but we referred to them a number of times. But it is important that we confess them and that we have an understanding of them. First, that we bring out that when we talk, what God says concerning the creation of all things, who of nothing made heaven and earth with all that is in them, as Jeremiah, as Jeremiah confessed, Behold, thou hast made the heaven and the earth by thy great power and stretched out, stretched out arm. Verse 17. That we confess it's by faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God. We understand that by faith. Now that does not mean we hold to it, even though all the evidence points against it, we hold to it anyway. That's not what that means. It means we believe what God says. God tells us this in the scriptures. We know this is true. We have no doubt about it. That it happened precisely the way that God says, regardless of what man may say about what happened. We know that men are wrong when they deny this. And that what God says is the truth. Secondly, we bring out that the creation is not part of God. It's not the, you know, the idea that the creation is God or that the creation is part of God. Some may speak that God is more than the creation, but that the creation is part of him. We say, no, that's not the case. The creation is not part of God. Thirdly, we bring out that create, God created all things on account of his own will. It's distinct from the activity of the, when we refer to the father begetting the son. Well, that's not an act of the father's will, that the father begets the son. That's a heresy to teach that 
the father begetting the son is an act of his will. To say that would make the, a distinction between the will of the father and the will of the son. They'd be distinct then. Where they're the one essence. And the will belongs, is, refers to the nature. It belongs to the nature of, of God. We can't fully understand we were it. We refer to that as the eternal begetting of the Son. And there always is, you know, there, that the Son is eternal and the Father is eternal. And there's an eternal, the Son is eternally begotten. Well, creation's distinct from that. God created on account of his will. Revelation 4 verse 11 says that. It's translated for his pleasure. And it is a, a, on account of his will, because of his will, he willingly created. And we confess he created out of nothing. The creation's not eternal. Many speak about the creation as if it doesn't really have a beginning, or they explain it as having a big bang. But wow, how is it that from nothing everything came? Some have spoken in the past. There have, been, there have been those that have spoken of the idea that maybe everything expands from a big bang and then gets to a point where it contracts. It stops expanding and then it contracts again and then maybe expands and maybe it just keeps going like that. Creation's not eternal. didn't make itself it's the case that God created the heaven and the earth and he created the different creatures each one having its office as we say in the Belgian confession article 12 each one has its office each one has its, has its function according to the will of God like each creature reproducing after its kind. Each creature has its function and it reproduces after its kind. And the thought that one creature would evolve into another creature is clearly denied by the scriptures when it speaks of reproduction always after their own kind. And in six real days, each day is limited by an evening and a morning, one evening, one morning. The idea of those days being long days does not arise out of exegesis. Now that's an important point to remember with regard to this. These points about after their kind and evening and a morning, we frequently teach that and the young people, they have heard this frequently. It's very important that we remember these, that you can prove right from Genesis, right at the very beginning, you can prove the, what the truth is over against the years. But also to remember that the idea that those days are long periods of time does not arise out of exegesis. What that means is no one goes to the scripture and comes away with that thinking from the scriptures themselves. The idea comes from this world. 
that somebody listening to what the world says and then going to the scriptures and thinking, well, we got to modify this somehow to make it square with what the world says. He says, well, we don't do that. We don't listen to what the world says and then go to the scriptures and say, well, we've got to make some changes here. You start doing that with one subject, you start to start doing that with other subjects. Like today, people say there's nothing wrong with homosexual activity. They say today we see, we see nothing wrong with it. People thought it was wrong in the past, but not today. And then you say, well, if that's listen to the world, then we're going to go to the passages that speak of that and see if we can make changes to how we're to read it. We have to confess what God has taught us, which is the truth. And he spoke of an evening and the morning for each day. And we also bring out that the long day theory goes with the idea there being long, uh, there being a long period where there were animals dying before there even was a man. And when somebody says, I, you know, sometimes you're, you may come across a person that says, I don't hold that evolution. And I do say God is the one who created the heaven and the earth. But I still think those days might have been extremely long periods of time. But science has proven. And again, it brings out that they're not getting that from Scripture. They're listening to the world. They say, I think those days could have been very long periods of time. And if one asks, well, you think there were animals for a long time, you know, many, many years before there was a man? Did those animals die? They say, well, they must have. How could they have died before the fall? People talk about their teachings of creation as if it really doesn't make that much difference what you hold to. But it does. You deny the truth in one area and it's connected to things that you read of in other areas. Other doctrines, like concerning the fall. Death came into the world when man sinned. And lastly, with regard to creation, God creating the heavens and the earth out of nothing. God created everything for Christ. It was God's plan all along that Adam would fall and that Christ would come. In our history, this point was often stressed, referring to Colossians 1, verses 16 and 17, that speak about how all things were created for the Son. It wasn't the case that God had this original purpose with regard to Adam, and that when Adam fell, then God went to plan B. God always accomplishes his purpose. He created all things for Christ. And all things are for us who are, who are in Christ. For God's people. And then we turn to the subject of the covenant. 
and that God is our Father. The Lord's Day is actually on the fatherhood of God. We talk about the creation because it says I makes a reference to him as the maker of heaven and earth. It's in the section of God the Father. What believest thou when thou say, I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth? And it starts off by referring to God as the eternal Father of Christ. Of whom is he the Father? He's the Father of Christ. He's the eternal Father of Christ. And he is, for the sake of Christ his Son, my God and my Father. So we make the connection then between him being the father of Christ and our father. He is for the sake of Christ, his son, my God and my father. And that reference, my God, my God, brings up the idea of the, of the covenant. The everlasting covenant. And frequently in scripture, we read of the connection between how God spoke, he created, he accomplished his will, he created according to his will, what he desired to create, he created. That's also true with regard to salvation. There are those that, there are those that hold to a six literal day creation. And we agree with them. And they stress that it's six literal days. And in that, so far they do that. They're correct. But who then, when they switch and to, when they start talking about salvation, then they say that God desires all human beings to be saved, but man has to fulfill a condition to be saved. And thus there's many people who God desires to save that are not saved. then he doesn't accomplish his purpose in salvation. He does in, his, in creation, but he doesn't in salvation, and that's not true. He does in salvation as well. He accomplishes his purpose. He redeems, he delivers his people. And that brings us to what is mentioned in Jeremiah 32. How difficult it must have been for the Jews at the time when the Babylonian army is besieging Jerusalem. We have difficult times in our churches. At the present time, we've had difficult times in our own individual lives, different times. We may be going through a quite difficult time in our life right now. For the Jews, they had the Babylonians surrounding them, besieging the city. And they were told they are going to go to Babylon. One might have been afraid of what's going to happen. 
God spoke about the sins of the people and repeatedly how the people were rejecting the word of God. And this passage does speak of the fact that it's not the case that all of the Israelites were going to be saved. That wasn't God's purpose. That wasn't his desire. Many would be justly punished everlastingly. And in this chapter, there's a reference to how sinful man rejected his word. Repeatedly, the word of God was brought to them. And they rejected it. They would not hearken to what God says. And they would be punished. And that's the same truth we proclaim today. Those who hear the word of God just today. And now hearing the gospel of Jesus Christ proclaimed about the Messiah who has come and who has died and who has overcome death and who has ascended into heaven and who is going to return as judge. For people to hear about the death and the resurrection of Christ and of forgiveness in Christ and yet to not call out to God for forgiveness, not from the heart, forgiveness and deliverance, but to continue to walk in sin, they will be punished everlastingly. God will save his people. He will accomplish his purpose. Jeremiah was told to purchase this, this field. Buy my field. First, God told Jeremiah that this man, who was his cousin, Hanamiel, was going to come and to ask him to buy his field. Uh, for the right of inheritance is thine and the redemption is thine. He was a, a, a kinsman. So the right of redemption was him. And rather than going through all that and the rules concerning that, the point was he was to buy this field. Now to buy a field, when they're about the land, the Chaldeans are going to take them. People are about to be taken into Babylon. And the, and the Babylonians are surrounding Jerusalem, and at this time he's being told to buy this field. And then there's a reference to the evidence of the purchase that's supposed to be put in this earthen vessel. And God says that fields will be bought again in this land. His people will dwell safely. They'll be gathered, he says, they, he will gather them from all the nations. And they'll dwell together. And they'll fear God and they'll serve him. Now when God speaks to Jeremiah and tells him this, then Jeremiah prays and he makes a reference to God as the creator and that there's nothing too hard for him. But when you read through what he prays, it seems as if Jeremiah had some question and wanted to hear more from God about what, was going to, what God was going to do. And so he prays to God, and he makes reference. There's nothing too hard for God. This is the same, it's a, it's, 
what a wonderful, amazing thing to hear that they're going to come back when he sees the sins of the people and how they've been rejecting the word of God. Well, one can understand how they're going to go to they're going to go to Babylon. They've been rejecting the word of God repeatedly, but then to hear they're going to come back and they're going to dwell safely. When God answers, he says, there is, it is the case that there's nothing too hard for him. And he makes reference to what he's going to do in the people. So not simply that the people from the viewpoint of their bodies are going to come back to Babylon. I mean, are going to be delivered from Babylon and come back to the land. But God talks about his covenant. He talks about his promise. And he says he's going to give them a new heart. One heart. And they will fear him. The creator who said, let there be light, and there was light. The almighty creator gives a new heart to his elect people, those chosen in Christ, and they fear him. God is the creator of Israel. And when we look in the scriptures about the return from Babylon, there are a number of passages where we see the language of creation used. And that God specifically is referred to as the creator of Israel. And that when we say he is our maker, the ones who say that he is our maker are the ones who are his people. They're the ones that say that. We read that, for example, in Isaiah 43 that speaks about the return from Babylon. And then in verse 15 of Isaiah 43, it says, I am the Lord, your Holy One, the Creator of Israel, your King. Many people, when they talk about the Creator and we're His creatures, they would have us think about all human beings. Well, it's true. He created all things at the beginning, and then man fell. The Scriptures direct us to think of God to confess that he has created Israel. He has created us in Jesus Christ. We are new creatures. Regeneration, and we confess this in our creeds too, that regeneration is a new creation. He's our maker. And when we sing that, we have our mind on that. He's our maker. He gave us a new heart. 
and we fear him and we love our God. He's made his covenant with us. That's what we think on when we confess that he's our maker. He's our father, our heavenly father. He's made an everlasting covenant with us and we will dwell with him forever. That's, that's what we're confessing. Unconditional. You see how that goes with unconditional. God said, let there be light, and there was light. Creature doesn't ask to be created. God gives his elect people a new heart. And they believe. And they serve their God. We delight to serve him. In Isaiah 43, where we just quoted later on in verse 21, God says, This people have I formed for myself. This people have I formed for myself. You belong to the body of Christ. You're a member of the body of Christ. You're one of those people that are in that body, in that people that God has formed for himself. This people have I formed for myself. They shall show forth my praise. They will. God works that in his people. They will. We sing that like in the Psalms, Psalm 100, verse 4. Three, it is he that hath made us and not we ourselves. We are his people. Psalm 100. It's easy to remember. Psalm 100. He hath made us, not we ourselves. Made us. We're his people. Who say that? His people. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Enter into his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. And we praise him. Thankful for the salvation we have in Christ, for the covenant, the everlasting covenant that God has made with us and with our children. There's nothing too hard for our God. And now, Lastly, relying on him. So we don't we don't doubt. We don't fear. See how this we go from the subject of creation in six little days. The subject of the covenant and us being new creatures and that God is our Father for Christ's sake. We know that, we understand that, we believe that. And we confess here that we rely on Him. This, after all, is an explanation of a confession of faith. It's explaining not simply the words, 
God is the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. It's not just making a statement that God is the Father Almighty and he's the maker. But the quotes in, in question 26 are about the phrase, I believe in him. I believe in God the Father, almighty maker of heaven and earth. And so the question is asked, what believest thou when thou sayest that? Not what do other people mean when they say that? What do you believe? When you say those words, I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. And in the answer, we explain what we believe about creation out of nothing. We also explain that God is our God. He's our Father. He's the Father of Christ. He's our Father. And then we add, I rely on him. I rely on him entirely. In fact, I rely on him so entirely that I don't have any doubt that he will provide me all things necessary for soul and body. So we don't doubt that. We're not afraid, not worried. We don't doubt that he'll provide us with what's necessary for our soul and for our body. We don't doubt that. He will. He's able. He's almighty. There's nothing too hard for him. He's willing. He's our father. He loves us. He's made an everlasting, his everlasting covenant with us. We don't doubt. Will there be evils? For the Jews, would they go to Babylon? Yes, they would. Not too long ago, we went through and talked about Daniel and his three friends. And there were other saints there in Babylon. They would go. Does God send the evils? He does. He turns them to our advantage. We don't doubt that. We often confess that to one another. That whatever, whatever you and I may be facing today, he will turn to our advantage. So that we not only say that in general, but we confess this as we're going through difficulties in our own life. And things happen that we wouldn't have wanted to have happen. 
or things that we want to have happen that they're not happening. When evils are sent upon us of different sorts, we confess that in this valley of tears, and that's what this is, the valley of tears, this valley of tears, he will make whatever evils he sends upon me in this valley of tears turn out to my advantage. I know that. That's a confession of somebody who has a new heart. That God works in his people, he gives us one heart. One heart. And together we confess that from the heart. Now we don't have perfect faith, we confess that too. No, we don't serve God with the zeal that we are. We confess that too. We look forward to the day when we'll all be together, when there will be the full realization of the deliverance that God has promised. And we read these promises about the return and the coming back to the land. And we do point out what happened after 70 years and how they came back and then there's the building of the temple and so on. But we know this is pointing us to what we have in Christ Jesus and the full realization, the full realization when Christ returns. Christ has overcome death. He has overcome death. He's reconciled to us to God. He has overcome death. He dwells in us by his spirit, and he will return for us. And there will be a new heaven and a new earth. Nothing's too hard for our God. And we go through the trials of this life, trusting in him, our father, our maker, our friend. May we praise him, may we trust in him, and may we live to his glory. Amen. Let us pray. Our Lord, our God and our Father, thou really art our Father. We are thy children, we bear thy image. Thou hast given us a new heart. Thou hast given us one heart. We really are united. And we know, o Lord, that thou wilt turn whatever evils thou dost send upon us in this valley of tears to our advantage. We know that we've experienced that too. And we know thou wilt guide us in the trials that we face. Grant us grace, O Lord, to trust solely solely in thee, even as we confess, to rely upon thee, not be afraid, worry, not be cast down, discouraged. Lord, grant us that grace, grant that grace to our children, 
May we together, as those who know that we've been redeemed and who know our salvation is all of thee, may we exalt thy name and be diligent as we fight the spiritual battle to thy honor. Grant this grace to us and our children, for Christ's sake. Amen.